Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Game Time with Manny. Um, I apologize once again for another brief hiatus. Um, I kind of did it to myself because I had an idea in mind of what I wanted to do the podcast on, but then I ended up not finishing what I wanted to do in time, and so I was like, ah, well, I'll wait until, like, the middle of August and see if I'm ready yet, and I'm not still, uh, but I should be within the next couple of weeks, so I had to move around and change what the topic of this podcast was going to be about. Uh, originally, it was going to be about Kingdom Hearts, the original Kingdom Hearts, because I'm replaying that, um... I've been kind of busy recently, so I've been doing a bunch of other stuff, but I'm almost done with my replay of the original Kingdom Hearts, and yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that next time. This time, however, we are going to talk about the wonderful indie game Pyre that was just released for PS4 and PC um, at the end of July, and it is one of my favorite indie studios, Supergiant Games developed it. Uh, and in case you're wondering what Pyre is about, it is kind of like a visual novel mixed with an NBA Jam-like made-up fantasy sport, and it's it's really interesting. Uh, so without further ado, let's get right into talking about it. It's game time. So it's kind of weird. Um, indie games is now kind of a weird term because like all kinds of things can be indie games, but it, it should mean a small studio who has decided to make a game on their own, uh, usually just like a couple people who have a cool idea, and then they try to publish it themselves uh, without the backing or approval of a large studio such as like Activision or EA. Um, that, that kind of became prominent probably around like 2008 was when it really started to pick up, uh, like Braid and a couple of other games like that around that time were, um, like some of the first to get like super, super popular, uh, and so after that, the indie scene kind of started to pick up steam and developers, uh, just like random people, decided to like quit their big studio jobs and like really go for it and make their dream passion projects. And that is sort of what uh, Supergiant Games is, the studio that made Pyre, the game we're going to be talking about today. Uh, they released their first game, Bastion, uh, in 2011, and now... In 2011, the indie game scene still wasn't, like, quite as robust and huge as it is today, and, uh, one of the ways a lot of, like, really cool indie games got a spotlight was the Xbox Live Summer of Arcade, and so for people who don't know what that was, it was a summer event, usually for, like, a month, that Microsoft put on, probably between, like, I would, I don't know what year it started, but uh, Bastion was in one of those, and so what would happen is Microsoft would reach out to developers that they knew had smaller indie games in development and say, like, hey, we'll feature you on our Xbox Live Summer of Arcade, so, like, you'll be the release of this week, and they would really, really push these games and, like, do a ton of advertising and stuff. Uh, a, lo a lot of cool stuff came out of Xbox Live Summer of Arcades, like, uh, 
I believe, like, Miss Splosion Man. Uh, Bastion was really the one that did it for me, though. Um, I didn't originally play it when it came out on Xbox, but it came out not that much after on PC, and now you can play it on, like, 10 different platforms or something. Like, they ended up re-releasing it for PS4. Uh, I th- you can play it in your browser. Like, you can play it in Chrome, which is really crazy. Um, I ended up playing it uh, just the Steam version uh, when it got released on Steam. I remember doing it in my college dorm. Uh, but I really liked Bastion. It was like a um, kind of a third-person action game, like sort of like what a third-person action game would have been like on the Super Nintendo or something like that. Um, and it was really cool. I had a whole bunch of different weapons. I had this really cool narrative hook where a narrator would be narrating everything that you did. You play as this character called The Kid. Um, and yeah, it was just really interesting overall. There was a The plot was, uh, in my opinion, stellar. Uh, there's a couple of good twists in it. It's very, very interesting. Uh, but the studio itself, uh, the main person that I personally know of on the staff is Greg Kasavin. And that name may be familiar to some. Uh, back in like the 90s and I think into the 2000s, he wrote for GameSpot, the review website. Um, and actually, my tastes align pretty closely with Greg's. Uh, he would usually be the one that would review a lot of like JRPGs and stuff that I would be into. Um, and he, he, I would always, I really respected him as a reviewer and he's one of the few reviewers where I actually like followed their career after they ended up leaving GameSpot. Uh, I believe then he ended up leaving GameSpot to go and like try development. Uh, they worked, he and a couple of other people on the staff worked at EA and they developed like real time strategy games. I think it was pretty sure it was EA Tiburon, but they worked on a bunch of RTS games, and then after that, they decided to test their mettle at making their own game, and it is like, they, it's not a lot of them, uh, they have Jen doing the art, uh, Greg does, like, story and some development, uh, there is Amir, who also does development, and then they have, like, Darren Korb, who, like, he does a decent amount of game soundtracks. He has done the soundtracks for all three of Supergiant's games, and they are excellent. I love Darren Korb. Uh, and then they have Logan, who does a lot of voices in all three of their games. Uh, he was the narrator in Bastion. He is the, like, crazy rights guy in Pyre. Uh, and I believe he also did the narration in Transistor. Uh, but yeah, there, it's just an interesting studio because it's definitely, you can tell that they are really trying to do their best. I mean, not to say that other studios aren't, but like they're trying to make a unique thing each time. So what ends up happening with studios is they will make a game that is a hit. Like Bastion was a hit. It blew up and it was super critically well received. Uh, and it would have been super easy for them to just be like, oh, like let's make Bastion 2 or something along those lines. But then... In 2014, they transitioned, oh, no pun intended, over to the game Transistor, which follows Red, a female protagonist with a talking sword. And it was not not really anything like Bastion, uh, other than the fact that the sword kind of acted as the narrator. He, he would talk throughout uh, your, your gameplay, but it was a strategy game, like a turn-based strategy game. I, I guess it wasn't like fully turn-based it was like 
I don't know, there was a little bit of an action element to it, but you would have all these abilities and it was strategy-based and you'd use cover and come up behind and use your abilities. And at the time, I remember thinking like, wow, that's crazy. If it was me, I would have just taken the easy route and made another thing like Bastion, but they tried to make something completely different. Uh, I don't think that Transistor quite caught the world on fire in the same way that Bastion did, uh, but it was still like pretty well-received. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't like it quite as much as Bastion, but, you know, everybody likes different things. And then that brings us to Pyre. And you would say, like, oh, well, they had to have, like, followed up Transistor with something, but once again, they did something completely entirely new. Uh, and Pyre is just interesting in, in a lot of ways because it's like not something that really like follows a specific genre like it is part visual novel because there's a lot of reading and like world building through text boxes uh and there, there's a lot of like choices and you don't really like move around the overworld or anything everything happens on its own what you play per se other than choosing the choices and dialogue options is uh, this mystical sport called the rites, and it is I I have I struggle to describe it because I feel like saying basically that it's just like fantasy NBA Jam kind of gives the wrong impression, but it it is sort of like that. Uh, so, so to give a bit of context, uh, the worlds in Supergiant games are very important, and the world building is impeccable. Uh, and Pyre is the same. Uh, you, it takes place in a world called the Commonwealth, which is basically this, uh, kind of like prosperous empire, but they, uh, decide that a lot of things are illegal, like reading, for instance, they decree that no one should be able to read and anyone who is caught for the crime of reading or like, uh, treason and things like this are basically banished to this purgatory type underworld called the downside. Um, and it is believed that there is no way to escape the downside and you have to live out the rest of your days there uh, as an exile. And you, as the main character, you're never really seen. You don't have a face or anything, but you do get to choose your name. Uh, you are a reader, someone who knew how to read, that had been cast down to the downside. You were, you were caught uh, reading or something like that. And you are found by... Uh, three traveling people in the downside uh joe dariel who is a very large uh demon woman who actually might be one of my favorite characters uh hedwin who is just a regular human guy and uh rookie greentail who is a dog with an impeccable impeccable mustache uh they find you pr pretty crippled uh and they they decide to heal you up and somehow or other, they ask you if you know how to read. Uh, they don't really clue you in to say how they knew you or thought you would know how to read, but uh, they ask you if you know how to read, and you say, yes, uh, that is why I was cast down. And they hand you this book, and they tell you to read the book. And through reading the book, you find out that there are these uh, trials that people of the downside can undertake called the rites. And it comes to light that they knew about this uh, through some mysterious benefactor uh, whose name is Volfred. Sorry, it took me a second. I, I haven't played it in a couple weeks. So some of my memory on the names is going to be kind of out there. But yeah, Volfred Sandalwood 
uh, he is some mysterious benefactor, and he basically gave them the wagon that they're traveling around on and told them to search out a reader, which they find in his you. Uh, and once you read the book, you find out about these rites, and you find out that uh, on certain days, you as the reader will look up at the sky and read the stars, and the stars will lead you to a place where you can compete in the rites against another team. And so... On the days of the rites, you will go to the designated place. Your team members will put on the garb of the rites, and then they will take on the other team. And so what you come to find out is that if you win enough in the rites, someone can go free and return back to the Commonwealth. Uh, all of their crimes are absolved, and they are actually uh, promoted to like a higher status in society. Because there are only few people who actually know that you can return from the downsides and know, like, the hardships that you would have to face. So, when you end up coming back, you are basically, like, exalted in many different ways and, like, offered all kinds of, like, gifts and crazy high-ranking jobs and stuff like that. Uh, but initially, this band of three didn't really believe that you... That Volfred was telling the truth. They didn't think Sandalwood was telling them the truth. So, they needed a reader to... Uh, be able to tell them what was going on because they don't know how to read. And so you agree to help them out on their cause. Uh, and Hedwin promises that, basically says like, hey, let's form a group and we'll we'll all go free together. Uh, it doesn't quite work out like that. I don't want to give away the entire plot, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work out like that. Um... And so you end up like once you're reading the book, you basically go through a tutorial where there is this voice, this mysterious, like kind of mean voice uh, tells you how to do the rights. And so this is where I say, like, I don't think it's quite like NBA Jam. Yes, there is a ball. And yes, you kind of can dunk said ball. But it's not really like NBA Jam at all. So you have three people on your team at all times. And you as the reader basically direct them you're sort of like a coach which really what that means is it's just kind of a contrived way of saying that you are the one controlling them uh and so in the beginning like i said you have jodariel you have hedwin and you have rookie and so each uh character has specific uh traits that are exclusive to them like jodariel is a huge demon and so she moves really slowly but she is very powerful uh, and then you have Hedwin, who's kind of like an all-arounder, he can move kind of quick, he can jump pretty well, and then you have Rookie, who is just, like, fast as all hell, like, he is, Rookie was one of my favorite characters to be, because it is really easy to just outmaneuver your opponents, and so you all start, and you have auras around each person, and the, the aura comes around them in a circle, but, uh, an orb will go into the center and you need to get the orb to the other side of the map which the enemy's pyre is at so on the far left side behind your characters and on the far right side behind the enemy's characters there are these two huge pyres of fire and the goal of the right is to douse 
the flames of the other team. And the way you do that is by running the ball into the flame. You basically just like have a character with the ball and run right into the flame and it will take away a certain amount of hit points from the flame. So in most scenarios, not all of them, that's why I say most, uh, both flames will have 100 health essentially, uh, which is the flame strength. And when one side gets to zero, the other side loses. Or, uh, sorry, when the side gets to zero, that team loses. So, it depends on what strategy you want to go with, right? So, there, there's like an ex- there's a layer of strategy to it. You can only move one character at a time. So, whichever character has the ball is the one that is going to be moving if you have the ball. Uh, outside of that, you can swap between the three characters. But, the thing is... Characters who have the, I believe it's called the Celestial Orb, is the name of the ball, um, they do not have any type of protection. They don't have an aura. So if an enemy player runs into them and makes contact, you make contact with their aura, uh, your character will disappear for a designated amount of time. Usually it's like four or five seconds, and they're banished at that point. So then you're down a man, and it makes it a little bit tougher to do. So... There are all kinds of strategies you can use. Uh, so, like, one thing that you can do is, like, if you have the ball, you can pass it to the enemy real quick, and then they will be unprotected, and then you can use your uh, aura to take them down. Uh, most characters can hold circle and when they don't have the ball and, like, project their aura out, and if uh, an enemy gets hit by that, they will uh, be banished for a little bit. And so... One of the things that I think is really cool is there's an added layer of depth in that when you run your character into their pyre, you will score, but then that character is banished for the whole next round until the other team scores or until you score, so until a goal is made. And it makes it kind of weird because, like, you can have more defensive characters, and while you may want to try to score with them, uh, it may be better to keep them around on the field. Uh, but like I said, you can throw the ball at your enemies. You can also throw the ball into the enemy's pyre. So you won't quite get as many points or douse their flame as much when you do that, but you will not be banished. So sometimes it is to your benefit to just kind of chuck it in. Uh, so like what happens is you hold the button to throw and like, it'll start a counter above your head to show you how much damage it's going to do. And the longer you hold it, um, the more it will do when it gets thrown into the pyre. Uh, but it is possible to, like, overshoot, and it's kind of a gamble because while you're holding it there, usually the enemies are just running at you and doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it's really it's really interesting. Uh, it is really competitive, and there's a lot of strategy to it. At first, it doesn't seem that way because the first handful of matches are, like, super, super easy. But you can turn up the difficulty if uh, you find it to be a little bit too easy. And later on in the game, uh, constellations activate before the match. I believe they're called, like, Titan Stars. Uh, and they basically allow you to input modifiers on the match to make it harder for you but easier for your enemies. And that way you can get, like, bonus experience. It's kind of like the skull system in Halo, if uh, you've ever heard of that, where basically you just, like, put on all these modifiers to make it way harder for you. So it, it is kind of cool because you can, like, make it harder for yourself and then get a bunch of extra experience. Uh, because when you level up your characters, they get traits that, like, make things a little bit easier. 
Uh, like you can upgrade their speed. You can make it so that if they run into the pyre, then they don't disappear, which in my opinion is pretty broken. Uh, the, the skills all depend on which character leveled up and things like that. Uh, they all have like pretty unique uh, paths and they each have two unique paths. You can pick from both like mix and match or you can just do one. Usually in my case, I just leveled up one path uh, because then it's like they're getting all of one strength as opposed to like dabbling in a little bit of each. So they're just kind of more all around. Um, and so you do get way more than these three characters that you start off with. Uh, one of Sandalwood's stipulations is he wants you to come find him and meet him uh, so that he can tell you more about why he wanted you to get together uh, and compete in the rights. So it's a little weird at first because you don't really know what's going on. Uh, when you meet the other teams that are participating in the rights, they seem to not like you. Uh, your team, you find out through dialogue and things like that, is called the Nightwings. And uh, through a bunch of context and things like that, you learn that maybe the Nightwings have not been around for a while uh, before you guys start competing in the rights. And people seem to be kind of upset by that, but are eager for the chance to take you on. Uh, and it's really cool because you learn about the other outcasts as well uh, through playing them and things like that. And just exploring the world of the downside is very interesting. The landscape is very diverse. Uh, like, there's, like, volcanoes, ice, like, huge oceans, all kinds of stuff. And as, as you go, you learn more about the world. So, like, in the beginning, I talked about how you read the Book of Rites, um, and you actually read it. Like, there is a book in the game, and as you go and visit new places, new pages in the book open up. So you learn all kinds of stuff about the world through that, uh, and it's very interesting, and that, that stuff's not going to necessarily be for everyone. Uh, I personally read all the pages in the book I unlocked, but you can still learn a lot about the context of the world just through the regular dialogue with your characters and other characters. Um and it is very much like a visual novel, like, uh, after matches, you can, like, go back to the wagon and choose to talk with one of your companions, and, like, maybe they'll get a small boost in the next match, depending on what you told them, uh, or they'll give you, like, a special item and things like that, and this, the same type of thing happens, like, after a match, they'll ask you to pick a path to go down, and they'll say, like, oh, like, if you go this way, maybe I'll receive a rare talisman, or, like, if we go the other way, maybe we'll meet this person that I owe money to, and we'll have some type of interesting experience, and so it, it goes back and forth of you picking all those for a long time, uh, and so this is where I guess I'll get into kind of spoilery territory. Uh, I still won't like spoil the main crux of the game or like the end of the game or anything like that because I don't know the the journey in this game was really important to me and I really enjoyed it. So if you don't want to know anything more about Pyre and you think you might want to pick it up, uh, I guess don't listen past this point. Um, eventually, in the story, the the companions do meet up with Sandalwood, but before that point, you're getting all kinds of other characters on your team, uh, because he said that he wanted a type of person to fit every mask, and so I believe there were like seven or eight masks, uh, for the Nightwood, the Nightwings, um, 
so when they go into battle, like I said, they put on their colored robes, but they also each have a unique mask. And it seems like each mask represents one of the different races in the downside or in the Commonwealth in general. So, like I said, there are demons, which could be anyone in general. They are the people who have been in the downside for so long that their uh, physical form starts to warp. There are people just like Hedwin, who is like a regular guy. Uh, Ruki is a cur, which is like a dog race. Um, there are harpies. There are worms, which are just like little tiny worm guys. There are bog hags, which are kind of like these Medusa looking people that like cast spells and stuff like that. Um, and it's very interesting, and each race type plays very differently. Sandalwood himself is, like, a tree man. I can't remember what their race is called, but, uh, they're used very defensively. They can put out these little saplings, uh, that act as, like, uh, almost like there's another character on the field. They get an aura around them in battle. And so you meet up with Sandalwood, and he lets you know that, while you think that you may all be able to go free from doing the rights, that is not the case. One person can go free at a time. And so you play a bunch of matches until you get to the stars call you to a specific place. And it is like this high up on a mountain. There are like these special gates and you go inside the gates and you play another team who has a good enough win loss record to be able to play you. And now I personally did not ever lose uh, because I don't like to lose in these types of games, but one thing I think is really cool is the game will continue on no matter what happens. So if you lose, the game will still continue on. So in this in this in theoretical final right against the other team, if you lose, one of their people will go free. But if you win, one of your people can go free. And you can only choose from three people at a time. It is the three people who have the highest experience on your team. So it kind of sucks because like, you have to send away one of the people who you like to use a lot in the rights. Um, and so I did that. Uh, I was really crushing it with Joe Dariel and I ended up sending her away first, but that's because I believed she should be able to go free. Uh, over the course of the game, you find out what each person's crime was that made them go down to the downside. And there are a couple people where I was like, mm, maybe you don't really think you should be allowed to go back to society. But there were some people where it's like, wow, you were like wrongly accused and this sucks and you shouldn't have ever been down here in the first place. So I personally sent Joe Dariel back up because she hadn't been down there the longest. And uh, she, I just, I just liked her character a lot. And so you send her back, and then it's it's crazy because, like, on one hand, you feel, like, good about yourself because, like, oh, I sent this person back, and, like, they really deserved it. But on the other hand, it's like, surprise, now there's another round of rights, and you lost one of your best characters because you sent them away, and it's like, ugh. So you do a, a bunch of rounds of this, so you end up sending a bunch of people back up to the Commonwealth, uh, at least I did because I was winning, and each time it would get harder and harder because it's like, I'm getting closer and closer to having a team of like only people who I don't really like using very much. Uh, but it, it makes an interesting dynamic for the game. It basically makes it so that like you have to kind of spread yourself around so that you're not necessarily only using the same characters. Otherwise then they're going to get sent away if, if you win in theory. 
Um, and it would make it seem like I, I only beat it the one time, but there should be like a bunch, a bunch of different endings because like in theory, you could lose every round and not be able to send anyone back ever. Or like, I get I, in theory, I guess if you lost enough, you might not even be able to participate in the final, right? So like it would just be an NPC team versus an NPC team. And one of them would be able to send their people back to the Commonwealth. I don't know. I haven't, like, looked up enough about uh, how losses really work. But it's pretty funny because, like, you can restart uh, from checkpoints and things like that. And if you're in a match, I only did this once because I, like, felt like I was cheated and I kind of felt bad for it. But if you hit reload checkpoint in a match, you can start it over. But it basically comes up with a pop-up saying, like, hey, I know you might not want to lose, but you the game will still go on like there is no fail state here so like are you sure you really want to restart and i still did it anyways but i felt kind of bad about it just because it's like oh man this goes kind of against the spirit of the game but i will i will willingly admit i am a save scummer in most in most cases i will i will load if things do not go my way but that were there was only really one time uh that that happened i got good enough at the combat that it didn't really matter uh, so I, I only had to do it the one time, but I think if I played again, I would just let it play out and I would probably actually try to free different people in a different order, uh, just to see how that goes. Because in some cases, like you might send someone back before you even really know what their crime was or like before you really get to know them, uh, because they all have like profiles and they fill out in the book and you can like see like how long they've been down in the downside and, uh, where they came from, what their crime was, but they have to like admit that to you first. So you, you kind of have to like grow with them and talk to them. Uh, and not all the characters really want to open up to you at first. And some of them don't necessarily like you very much at first, but they begrudgingly join your team. Um, so, so it's, it's interesting all around and just the, the world building is impeccable and the art is, is next level like the art in bastion and transistor is also great and pyre is is no exception uh super giant in my opinion is three for three they have made three very good games and i just think that it is one of the coolest things ever that each time they are testing themselves and trying to make a new unique product each time like i said earlier it is it is supremely easy as like the world of sequels we live in have made obvious that you can rehash the same thing. And like, if it is similar enough to the first one, people will probably still like it. Uh, and on one hand, I really like sequels, but on the other hand, it's like, man, I kind of wish companies didn't have to be like a slave to these franchises they've made because like, sometimes it's a bummer. Like, uh, things like horizon zero dawn that came out recently were like very successful, uh, and now I bet that, uh, Guerrilla Games will have to make Horizon Zero Dawn games for, like, the rest of their existence, just like they had to make, like, six Killzone games. Uh, and so sometimes that's a bummer, because those kinds of franchises usually will go until they run themselves into the ground, and, like, that really sucks. So it's cool to see, like, especially an indie studio just, like, doing new stuff. Um, and I personally will, I will try out whatever Supergiant wants to put out. Uh, they have shown me very much so that they can tackle all kinds of new stuff and that they have a style that they are willing to stick to. Uh, and I, that th this happens with a lot of indie studios. Like it's not just Supergiant. It's just, that's what I'm talking about here. So it like, it, 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 
it's it's a little bit more obvious in this case. And so that brings an end to the episode. Thank you guys for listening. This one was a little bit rambly. Uh, I hadn't played Pyre in a couple weeks, so I apologize when I forgot anyone's name or anything like that. But uh, it is a really cool game, and I highly recommend that you check it out. Uh, Like I said, it's for uh, PC and PS4. Uh, it doesn't seem like uh, it will be going to the Xbox One or anything like that. Uh, I haven't really looked into it very much, but currently it very much seems like just a PS4, PC type thing. And like I said, you should pick it up. <sighs> and so we're here at the end of the episode again, which means that I have to say our theme song is the song Sting Operation by the band Anamanaguchi. And you should really check them out. They're a cool, cool chiptune band. And I mean, come on. It's been like, what, 28 episodes? You should have checked them out by now. I mean, it's like, they're really cool. They're very good. And I promise I will be back within a couple of weeks. There will not be another one-month hiatus where I don't say anything. I will be coming back within like two weeks to record a probably way too long podcast about my thoughts on Kingdom Hearts 1. I have... I have so many thoughts on the franchise in general, but the first game specifically is what I have replayed, and I, man, I am brimming with thoughts. I could start right now, but we're going to wait until next month. See you guys then. Peace out.